If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, Two weeks ago, on Sunday night, we were continuing our uh, series on face-to-face with Jesus, the encounters that Jesus had with certain individuals, and we looked at, or began looking at, the raising of Lazarus. And uh, we uh, looked at some of that, and and, uh, if you remember the story... Uh, Jesus gets word <coughs> from the sisters in Bethany that Lazarus, his friend, is sick. Now, what everybody doesn't really know, except perhaps for Jesus, is that by the time he got this word, Lazarus was actually already dead. By the time the messenger got to him. And Jesus waits around for four days before he heads back. And he has a conversation with the disciples and they were confused. And we talked about that. And then Jesus does go back to Bethany and he's approached by both of the sisters and both of them basically say the same thing. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so they were a little disappointed that Jesus had not been there, that Jesus had not been able to save their brother uh, from dying. And then Jesus talks about, you know, being the resurrection and the life. And then he said, let's go out to the tomb And there we see the love that Jesus had for the sisters and for Lazarus. And then we see that tiny verse that says, Jesus wept. And we see the emotion that Jesus had as he tries to comfort the sisters. Well, with all that emotion in mind, I wanted to to look at some of the most powerful truths ever found in Scripture. And I guess if we were going to do this face-to-face You know, we had face-to-face with the disciples. We had face-to-face with the sisters. Now we're going to have face-to-face with Lazarus. Okay, so that, I guess, is kind of how this fits in. So beginning in chapter 11 and verse 38, this is where we left off two weeks ago. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with linen, strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, we are used to, we have seen Jesus raise the dead before. But the raising of Lazarus is completely unique. It is different than all the others. You remember that at one point, Jesus comes into the city of Nain. And there is a widow, there's a, there's a, a funeral procession going on. A widow's son has died. A widow's only son has died. And you can kind of imagine, you know, how it might be. I don't know if there were people carrying the casket or if the casket was on a cot or if there even was a casket. It may have just been a wrapped up body. I don't know how this worked. 
But Jesus comes in and sees this funeral procession and goes over and raises the widow's son. Now, what's a little unique about that is, is if we go back to the uh, tradition and culture of the time, this young man would not have been dead very long. They don't do funerals like we do funerals. We don't have somebody die and then wait around for three or four days and, and then have the funeral. They didn't have all the modern, you know, stuff that we got to embalm and keep bodies kind of fresh or whatever, you know, when they're dead. So you wanted to bury them as quickly as possible. So this young man had not been dead very long. On another occasion, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, comes to Jesus and said, please come. My daughter is gravely ill. And so Jesus comes. But by the time he gets to Jairus' house, the daughter is dead. And if you remember, he takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes in, and he lays across the girl's body, and he says, you know, basically, girl, get up, in Aramaic. And again, the girl is raised from the dead. Now, there could be an argument made that because both of those deaths were so closely Related to the time that Jesus raised them. One might could make the argument that Jesus didn't really raise them from the dead. You know, they weren't dead. Uh, Jesus knew some, some far superior form of CPR. He knew how, you know, if somebody was just kind of barely dead. He could raise them from the dead. And it wasn't really a miracle. It was more of a medical kind of thing. And, you know, you've probably heard stories, especially, you know, earlier in the later, earlier centuries where, where, you know, people might be buried alive. Everybody thought they were dead, but they weren't dead. And in fact, over in all those old cemeteries over in Europe, that's why they had those little bells, you know. They got the little bells on the, on the gravesite with the string that goes down into the casket so that the dude who was buried woke up, he could ring the bell. And let everybody know, I'm alive. So, some people might have tried to discount those two raisings from the dead. But this is totally different. And I think this is part of the reason. Not all of it, but I think it's part of the reason Jesus waited to go to Bethany. Because there was no doubt that Lazarus was dead. And you've heard me say it before. He wasn't just dead. He was stinky dead. Okay. You know, there was, there was four days he'd been in there. But by that time, you know, it already starts to stink, especially in that climate, I imagine. And I imagine as soon as they rolled that stone away, it was, whoo, whoo, that's nasty. But there was no doubt that Lazarus was dead. But some of the truths that we get from this story... And the first one is kind of important. And that is that death is a reality. Death is a reality. I was 26 years old before I lost somebody close to me. I'd had great uncles die and and a great grandmother die. But when I was 26 years old... My grandfather died. 
And that was up to that point, that was the closest person. Well, not even really up to that point, almost still. It's the closest person who had ever died that I knew of. My grandfather was the one that always took me to the farm on the weekend when my, when my dad was in Vietnam and, and we did everything together and it kind of devastated me. Some experience it much sooner. Some experience it much later. Some in tragic situations, some in old age, but all of us will face not only death of others in our lives, but eventually we'll face our own death. God long ago told Adam and Eve that the day they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. Well, we read that story and we think to ourselves, well, they didn't die that day. Well, there's two ways that they died that day. One, they died spiritually immediately. Because of their sin, they were immediately separated from God. But they began to die physically. And since that time, all but a couple people have died. Genesis chapter 5, that chapter in there, you know, it's that long chapter that is the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Okay? And if you notice, as it goes through from Adam to Noah, it all of them end the same way. Andy died. So and so lived a hundred and some years, and he begat so and so, and he lived another hundred and some years, and then he died. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. Except for Enoch, who the Lord took to be with him. But he died. Solomon wrote, in fact, there is a time to be born. And there is a time to die. The writer of Hebrews said it is appointed unto man once to die. And then after that, the judgment. It is an appointment that we cannot cancel. I like canceling appointments because it's normally doctors. And, you know, I just do not go to the doctor. Okay. But this is an appointment we cannot cancel. James tells us, James tells us that our life is but a vapor. It is here for a while and then gone. Someone once said that the minute we are born, we begin to die. How morbid is that? But how true is that? As soon as we are born, we are in the process of dying. I have done several funerals to, with people over the age of 90. And you know, that's how kind of all of us probably think we're going to go. But we know and we've experienced that that's not true. Babies die. Children die. Teenagers die. Young adults die. Middle-aged funeral, middle-aged adults die. Good people die. Wicked people die. Everyone dies. I counted up not too long ago. And I have done 96 or helped with 96 funerals. Since I've been here. I think it's more than that. Because I think there's some that I actually don't have record of. But 96 that I have record of. And I remember the first one. You know when I got here. Norman. Norman Norman was a man. Right? He was the man. And so y'all didn't know me. People didn't know me. I was the young kid that nobody knew. Why, why, why is he even here? You know. And so somebody would die. And they would want Norman to do the funeral. 
And so Norman would do the funeral. I might help with the singing or something like that, but I didn't have an active role in the, in the funerals. And then many of you will remember Irving Styron. Irving Styron died on Christmas Day. Irving Styron was a, just a little bit older than I was at the time. And Marie, his wife, wanted me to take part in Irving's funeral. I was scared to death. And not only was I scared to death, but after that fact, I could have slapped Marie Styron. Because after that, Norman wanted me to help with every funeral. Now, I had been perfectly fine just kind of sitting back and not doing that. But after Irving's funeral, I pretty much helped with almost all the other funerals that we've had since. Let me tell you about the hardest funeral I've ever conducted. It was for a girl by the name of Alyssa Daney. None of you know her. It was 2003. I was still not the preacher yet. I was still the youth minister. And I get a call from Roy Nail. And he said, Brother Tim, I need your help. There's this young couple that really had just kind of been passing through. And they had their baby. And the baby only lived two days. And died. And I need somebody to conduct a graveside funeral. Norman was out of town. The Baptist preacher was out of town. The Methodist preacher was out of town. Every preacher in Morris County was out of town. And he said, would you please conduct this funeral for this two-day-old little girl that I didn't even know their parents or anything. I got Brittany up here. Brittany must have been about 14, I guess, about that time. I got Brittany up here and had her sing and record Jesus Loves Me so that we could play that at the cemetery. And I was thinking to myself, what am I going to say? What on earth am I going to say? And I believe the Lord helped me through that. But in our minds, a two-day-old baby should not die. It shouldn't happen. But we have been around long enough to know that death is everywhere. And I think this is the reason that Jesus waited. Jesus needed the sisters and the disciples and the followers to know that death is a reality. He needed that death to sink in. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead. There was no guarantee. If Jesus had been there. That Lazarus would not have died. Eventually Lazarus died again. All Jesus did was postpone the inevitable. And we think well. If Jesus had been there. Jesus was Lazarus' friend. Jesus wouldn't have let him die. That's what the sisters thought right. But we go to the Bible. And we see. God's friends, godly people who died, 
Stephen, a young man, stoned to death because of his faith. James, the brother of John, had his head cut off by Herod. And I've often thought about that. You remember that's the story where Peter and James had been arrested? And James is beheaded, but Peter is miraculously released from prison? And if I'm James's mother or James's dad, I'm going, what's up with that? Why'd you let Peter out? You let him escape, but my son gets his head cut off. And on and on it kind of goes. So the first spiritual truth we find this evening is that no matter who you are, where you sit, how old you are, you are going to die. Unless you happen to be alive when Jesus comes back. But you're going to die and you don't know when. Wow. Are y'all uplifted now? Are y'all encouraged now? Well, that leads us to our second point, which is life is a possibility. What Jesus wanted the disciples and the sisters and us to know is that even though death is a reality, life is a possibility. I want to go back to something Jesus said when he was talking to the sisters. In verse 23, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection And the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then, if you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Martha's response. Martha did not answer Jesus' question. Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And if you believe in me, you'll live even though you die. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. Why didn't Martha answer the question? Because I think the question was a little confusing. Isn't it? If you believe in me, you will live even though... You die. And if you believe in me, you will never die. Now, wait a minute. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. And so Martha just kind of says, I don't know what you're talking about, but I believe in you. I believe in you. And that was good enough for Jesus. I am the resurrection. And the life, Jesus said. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not say, I can provide resurrection in life. I can raise the dead. Now, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. I love that verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 Where Paul writes, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep 
or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You see, when we grieve as Christians, we don't grieve for that person, if that person is a Christian. We don't grieve for them. They are better off by far. We grieve for ourselves because we will miss them. We're humans. We will miss them. We wish they were still around. We wish we could talk to them. We wish we could. I wish I could go to my farm, to the farm with my grandfather and, and pretend to hunt rabbits with the BB gun. Now, I wish I could do all that. But I can't. And so I grieved and I still grieve. But I don't grieve for him. Because he was a godly man. He was a faithful Christian. And I know that he is in a far better place. We may not want to die now. We may have things we still want to get done and experience. And there's a sense in which, and I've told you this before, I'm not ready yet. It used to be I wanted to see my daughters grow up. And I wanted to walk them down the aisle and see them graduate college and all those things. Now I'm old enough. Been there, done that. But now I got grandkids. Better by far. No. <laughs> yeah, no, Brittany's not here. Okay. You know, no, I didn't say that. Uh, but now I got grandkids. And I want to see them grow up. And I want to enjoy time with them. But if the Lord calls me and says, no, it's time, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. And I think that all of us as Christians should have that same kind of reaction. Paul put it this way. He said, what shall I choose? He was contemplating his situation, didn't know whether he was going to live or whether he was going to die. He said, what shall I choose? It's interesting that this is one of the few places where I think Paul kind of made a mistake. Because Paul wasn't going to get to choose. He may have wished he could have chosen. But like death with most of us, it's not our choice. He says, though, but what should I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul said, if it was just me, I'm ready to go. Because that would be better by far. But I think God still wants to use me to help y'all. I think God still wants to use me to, to teach, to preach, to do, to do all these things that Paul knew were, were out there for him to do. But if God was ready to take him home, he was ready to go because it was better by far. Knowing all of this and revealing these spiritual truths to his disciples and the sisters, it kind of begs a question, doesn't it? Why raise Lazarus? It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Was not Lazarus better off by far? 
Why did Jesus raise Lazarus? Raising Lazarus was proof of his words. Now, which would be easier to say? Your brother will rise at the resurrection. Or Lazarus come forth. Which is easier to say? The first is easier to say, right? Oh, he'll rise again at the resurrection. But the second proves the power that is going to make the first come true. If I can raise Lazarus from stinky dead, do you have any doubt that I can raise you on the last day? You know, it's kind of like, remember the man, the the crippled man that was put through the roof by his four friends. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees and all the people there are just shocked. Nobody can forgive sins but God. True. But they didn't realize what they'd said. And so Jesus said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? Well, the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because who's going to know? I mean, how are you going to know? But being able to say, take your mat and get up and walk provides the authority and the power to be able to say your sins are forgiven. And that is what Jesus did with Lazarus. I've often wondered how Lazarus felt coming back from the grave. Annoyed? Let down? There's an interesting story in the Old Testament. Saul is is going crazy. You know, King Saul. And so he goes to a, a spiritualist, a witch. And he says to this witch, I want you to bring the spirit of Samuel to me. I want to talk to Samuel. And so the witch does her mumbo and jumbo. And all of a sudden, there is Samuel standing before them. I am absolutely convinced the most shocked person there was the witch. Because that had never happened before. And all of a sudden, Samuel is there and Samuel says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And I wonder if Lazarus maybe didn't feel a little bit like that. But there would be eventually the ultimate proof, the ultimate display of Jesus' power and authority over death. And that is his own resurrection. The true power of of Jesus. The true power of God was not him calling Lazarus forth from that tomb, but was the stone rolled away and the empty tomb on that resurrection morning. Raising Lazarus was cool. It certainly was a majestic display of power and glory of God, but it cannot be compared to the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. 
Because Jesus Christ was raised never to die again. Just like the promise he has made to us, through Jesus there is the possibility of life. And brings us to the third point, and that is that we need, while life is a possibility, we need to make that life a reality. Here's the real lesson. How do we go from life of possibility to life as a reality? And the answer is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear that, he, that this life he promises comes only to those who believe in him. The fact that death and judgment are a reality should bring us to the only solution. Amos said to the people long ago, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And there is going to come a day when we all will meet God. And the question is, will we be prepared? The belief Jesus speaks of is more than just a matter of the heart it is, or the mind. It is a matter of the will as well. We talked about that a little bit this morning. We talked about our relationship to the word in Psalm 19. And the one your word used more than any others was obey. Yeah, boy didn't even have to let you cheat. Obey. And we gotta, we can't just say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. But I'm gonna live my life any way I want to. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We've got to believe and obey God. We've got to make God the centerpiece of our lives. We've got to let his teachings permeate all that we say, all that we do. And when we do that, then we have life. It requires accepting this often this awesome gift in the manner he's ordained with belief and repentance and confession and baptism. It reenacts his own death, burial, and resurrection that we find in Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4. It requires a commitment to him, a faithfulness throughout our lives. Some of us, many of us just got back from, or a week ago, got back from uh, camp. And the theme of the camp for this year was persevere. Persevere. Staying faithful. Even through the difficult times. We said it before, God does not call us to be perfect, but he does call us to be faithful. We may stumble and fall, we may have difficult times, but we remain faithful to him. Because if we believe and trust in him, we will live even though we die. And we are all going to die. Death is a reality. Life is a possibility. But we can make that possibility a reality by putting our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If you're here this evening, there's some way that we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. 
That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.